the most embarrassing example that you still hear fairly frequently is employers, occupiers of space, saying either publicly or privately, well, we're just going to ask the workforce what they want and and we're going to show them, we're going to bring them back to the workspace and ask them, what do you think? Do you like it? And I think the question that many of us are saying is, what do you what do you mean do they like it? They don't, you've given them no context for why your enterprise needs to work in a certain way, because it's not the same answer too. I think the other related mistake is this issue of presuming we can create some universal new workspace, the future that's smart for everyone. The reality is some enterprises really do need most or all of their workforce to be in a place together physically most of the time or all the time. You are listening to the AFIRE podcast. Real estate, technology, cross-border investing, and the opportunities of a changing world. Let's start a conversation now. This is the second part of a two-episode podcast, speaking with Doug Holty, the founder and CEO of Agile Workweek Investments. Today, we'll be talking about a smart approach to creating new offices and sustainability, feedback loops and avoiding amenity wars, and solving the problems that really matter. Yeah, another product question, Gunnar, if I can inject it to back to your original setup of what questions to ask. One thing that our company is looking at is, um, and there's honest differences of opinions on it, and that is, what is the smarter, sustainable approach to future quality office space? Some would say that the construction of new, contemporary, fully tech-enabled, sustainably designed office buildings is the best thing. And then we should retire, meaning demolish, the worst of the 20th century inventory. Others would say, and I'm intrigued by this, that the best thing for the planet and for individual regions is to recycle as many of the existing office buildings as possible to avoid producing more carbon from new construction. And that that's the biggest move we can make is don't throw away and build new, recycle. But if we recycle, I think the occupiers and the landlords will probably, and investors will probably have to accept some compromises because uh, the, the even a well-done recycled office building may not be able to offer exactly the same set of experiences that a brand new one could. But, you know, just as with all examples of amenity creep, there's a lot of things that people don't really value that are sitting inside the package right now. Um, and there are things that they really value. We're not very good at discerning between them. So we tend to put it all together in one package and say, that's the package. Um, yes. It may very well be that there is something that is so valuable to people, whatever it might be. It could be its environmental footprint. It could be something that, that we can't think of at the moment. That if you can provide that, you can let the other ones go, and you can reduce, you know, you can reduce the, the the demands on that older building. You can reduce perhaps cost. I don't know. Well, you're opening up a you're opening up a terrific line of discussion, which is the the use of, of pricing signals, and um, and and also better feedback loops to force choices. Um, you know, we be, between you know competing demands. 
So, so to, to, I think to channel into where you're going, the last decade, again, landlords mostly added physical and digital amenities and experiences and bundled it in, bundled, effectively bundled it into the rent for the most part as, as a reason to pay a higher rent and take more space and stay longer in your space. Um, there's an alternative going forward, especially for services related to workforce skills and health um, that could be separated out and priced as available enhanced services. I think that's going to be an opportunity for some. I mean, there are, there are a few landlords that are doing some really clever things uh, to offer up sort of premium services at a price. And then you can listen to the market, tell you either, yes, that that is worth that enhanced service is worth that price, or it's not worth that, but it's worth something, or it's not worth anything. And we certainly at Irvine Company, we tried to establish and had some success with feedback loops that didn't seem to exist. Our industry has got stuck in a rut, I think, in the 90s and 2000s of surveying things that didn't matter or that were so obvious. You know, we had survey formats that asked things that we could know ourselves. Gee, are their bathrooms clean? Well, why do we have to ask our customers, you know, if the bathrooms are clean? We should be asking them. Of this list of services, what things would you pay nothing, something, or a lot for? And then we could we could prototype. I think the best landlords going forward could prototype some of those services, and uh, and see. Or the other alternative is to have a landlord mentality that is a curator of available services from vetted experts, and and become sort of the uh, facilitator of enhanced services that a an occupying tenant employer can choose from, right, and pay for. So I think that the the landlord of the future, there's going to be some great models, I'm sure, and we hope you're one of them, that you provide space that's more physically agile, technologies that are embedded more physically agile, and then alliances and available sort of vetted services that that the best employers can can choose from and and. And they can choose from it for their business reasons, you know, because it helps them drive their their workforce uh, um, results. And I, and I, I I love your description of feedback loops and the need for them and the difficulty in creating them. You know, to, to make sure you're getting the right question answered as you go through it. I was struck once, and, and to me, this was like an education 10 years ago, when someone pointed to a study that a multifamily owner-operator had done to figure out of all these expensive amenities that I provide, what's most important? And it was a very simple question. And, you know, they thought it was going to be the swimming pool or the, the, the you know, whatever, you know, whatever the amenity was. Right. Um, and the single most important amenity was a friend in the building. Mm, yes. The stickiness of human relationship. Um, and the same thing happens, as you know, within a workforce. If a, wor if, if a smart landlord provides a work week platform that makes a workforce come in and feel productive, engaged, and enjoy their week with, with peers, to your point, it's much harder to fire. It's, it's people tend to leave a company or fire their boss, right? But it's much harder to break up with a work team that you enjoy and you feel cares about you being part of the work team. So I think that's a parallel, is it, to the apartment analogy? It is because these are the kinds of things that actually affect the, the important metrics in terms of holding on to people, retaining them, making them you know, productive where they are. And yet these are not things that you can point to 
and say, look at this piece of furniture with right. wheels. Look at this you know, extra special amenity that we're providing everyone that works in the building. Those things all look great. They sound great. They're much easier to sell than let's figure out what it's going to take in order to make sure that people are as connected as possible, not just inside that company, but maybe throughout the building so that there's a, there's a value to the location that's much deeper even than the submarket, that it, that it has to do with that specific building. Now, these are hard to do, yes. hard to figure out, but they are the ones that work. These are the ones that actually often happen, even though we don't know. Yes. It. Well, let's let's st let's stay with this for a moment. Yeah. The what's interesting about the op the office property category, it's a little different, perhaps, than some ca other categories. Maybe most different than retail and hotel, which are kind of historically more iterative in how they redesign and redesign their spaces and services to be responsive. You know, because they have you got to get a shopper to come back one day at a time, and you got to get a hotel patron to come back one night at a time. Office, as you know, the long contract format, I think, lulled our industry into the idea that we innovate every five or 10 years, because that's kind of the duration of the contracts. And the vote is whether someone stays or leaves. And instead, we and we talked about this at Irvine and made some progress, and I'm excited about the future for what, what I'm now doing um, as well, is we talked about having the mentality to say, what if the office employer's workforce could vote daily on whether they want? And now we're seeing that they do get to vote daily. <laughs> And so there's a certain disruptive joy to the, the, the jarring from the pandemic that says the workforce now is saying broadly, I'm going to vote daily whether I feel like I want to come to that workplace with that work team, with that set of services. And um, I think that's going to be, again, an opportunity for the best landlords, and it's going to be an absolutely existential threat for many other landlords who are unable or uninterested in becoming that kind of an agile platform. I, I wonder, um, just to switch gears just a little bit here, um, essentially you're investing in PropTech. Um, there's a lot out there. It's a wild west of ideas, some of them good, some of them not. Yeah. And there's a lot of investors that are making bets yeah. that may or may not be well informed by whatever due diligence they're doing. So what are the screens that you use when you think about potential investments? How do you avoid, um, you know, stepping perhaps in a place where you don't really know what you're stepping into. Yeah, great question. So it's a journey for sure. I mean, I've I've been uh, fascinated and and um, pretty res respectful of the effort that emerging companies put into uh, prototyping, uh, getting somebody to pay something for their prototype, and then surviving and scaling. Um, so I, I I like to think from for. For our personal work at, at Agile Working Investments, we're focused on investing in companies that are going to help redesign the work week, um, not necessarily property, physical property related. The prop tech, I know that moniker is sort of what we've all decided decided to use to separate ourselves from fintech or health tech. I'm actually investing in a couple of companies in a fund that is cutting across categories that would not be thought of as prop tech. They'd be thought of as workforce tech or work week tech, meaning things that, again, help people become more mobile, more healthy, what have you. But where I'm going with that is I think there's no question that in the prop tech world, to stay with that for a moment, we're experiencing clutter and fatigue. So, you know, each vertical gets sub subdivided into a narrower vertical within prop tech, whether it's digital leasing platforms or digital energy platforms or occupancy sensors, they get subdivided and subdivided into narrower verticals 
The verticals have multiple players. The users or buyers of the services, landlords or tenants, I think are, are a bit fatigued on trying to select which verticals matter and within those verticals do I need to make two bets as a user of their service or technology. So there's there's definitely clutter and fatigue. I think what's what's most promising are the companies that are continually challenging themselves and getting feedback from end users as to whether their technology solution is in fact solving a problem that matters. And that sounds so simple, but I think there's still a lot of, I'm observing there's many technology companies that have a cool gadget or code that's not really solving a problem that matters. And as you know, there's also the, the challenge of, of uh, falling in love with data that doesn't provide insight. Um, as some put it, data that's more than one step removed from a business decision or action is just data. It's not an insight. So I think that we're seeing also that whether it's hardware, software, or integrative platforms, the search is for technology leaders and inventors that are listening well and iterating to make sure that their offering, if I can call it that, is solving something that matters. The biggest thing right now, by the way, that I think, I think most occupiers of space would agree on, and therefore landlords should care about, is, is the search for integrative platforms that help the different um, point solutions talk to each other. And there's a few great companies that I think are going to be category killers as they help to knit together different prop tech verticals. Because, you know, most, most companies of medium scale and most landlords of medium or small scale, they, they can't really integrate these systems themselves. They don't have the capacity financially or intellectually. So I think, I think there's going to be a lot of effort we're trying to spend time thinking and helping about knitting together some of these tech solutions so that they become intuitive, integrated, and again, that they're solving problems that matter. Solving problems that matter. I love that. Um, it, it, that's almost, that should be a watchword for all of us, no matter what we're doing, even if we're not in tech, is let's solve the problems that, that matter. What do you think are the, the pitfalls, the mistakes that you think people may make as we try to figure out what the office of a post-COVID world looks like? Well, I think the, one of the biggest mistakes that's, that's being made and hopefully can be unmade or fixed is poorly designed feedback loops. And by that, I mean, I'm seeing many, many companies, landlords and, and, and uh, tenants, occupiers, um, they're, they're organizing surveys or feedback loops that assume that the respondent understands the business implications and the real choices of one type of workspace or work week or another. So I'll use the, 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 the most embarrassing example that you still hear fairly frequently is employers, occupiers of space, saying either publicly or privately, well, we're just going to ask the workforce what they want and and we're going to show them, we're going to bring them back to the workspace and ask them, what do you think? Do you like it? And I think the question that many of us are saying is, what do you, what do you mean? Do they like it? They don't, you've given them no context for why your enterprise needs to work in a certain way. Cause it's not the same answer too. I think the other related mistake is this issue of presuming we can create some universal new workspace, the future that's smart for everyone. The reality is some enterprises really do need most or all of their workforce to be in a place together physically most of the time or all the time. 
Some enterprises, they really are solving market problems or delivering something of value that, that is distinctly connected to teams being physically together. Other organizations, not so much. So I think that feedback loops that are, that are poorly designed are a real risk so that you get false feedback where employees say, yeah, I, I like this or I don't like this. And they, again, haven't really been given multiple choice scenarios that they understand and they understand the business, business implications. Because that's the other thing is I think these, some of the survey feedback loops are not communicating in a way that's adult-like about the implications over time. So if you ask people, would you like to work from your house whenever you want? And a lot of the workforce in America and elsewhere would say, sure. If you then place on them the overlay to say, are you prepared to risk that the lack of visibility in the workplace for you may reduce your ties to your peers, the ability for your higher level executives to gauge your progress and your ability to lead others? Are you? Do you understand that your choice if you want to make the choice to not be in the workplace ever or much has implications i just i think that's the greatest risk is again it's back to great occupiers and great landlords are going to think about their org chart and their organizational talent processes more deeply including feedback loops about what should the workplace look and provide and and what kind of tools do you need the other thing i'd say is that the 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 mistake i fear deeply is that technology solutions will be launched without sufficient support for training and adoption and iterating. And I think that we're going to get some false negatives, if I can call it like medical terms, where some really cool workweek technology might be offered to the workforce or a landlord might offer it to their tenants. And it lands like a thud because there wasn't sufficient support to teach. I mean, you know, we're back to human habits. We certainly saw it, Irvine, and every employer sees that if you launch a new a new technology that effectively requires people to change their daily habits, it takes time. Back to our earlier part of the conversation. If you don't hang in there and revisit and revisit, why are we using this technology? What are the stories that helps it drive productivity and greater outcomes? How does it make us enjoy our work week better? If you don't do that, you're going to have some really disappointing failures that didn't need to be failures. So that's what we're thinking about this in terms of workspace design and workplace and workweek tech. That's what we're thinking about and talking to people about. Well, I, you know, actually there, there's so much baked. I asked you for a, a negative question and, and you gave me a positive answer um, in terms I of- I want to be hopeful. <laughs> I'm not naturally pessimist. I'm not naturally pessimistic. I do worry about lack of leadership after 20 months of thinking about it, you know, thinking about the problem of how to welcome back and, and energize a, a really productive workforce and work week. I am, there is a part of me that's quite disappointed with the, the, the lack of, um, of um, apparent preparedness, I guess, for, yeah. for after all that time. But we do have an opportunity. It's not like yes. a, we, we do have an opportunity to make it different and make it better. Yes. Well, I, I can't believe it. This conversation has uh, sped away and we've run out of time, uh, which is, is unfortunate. I'd encourage anyone. Uh, to look up Doug, uh, really a fascinating thinker on this and, and perhaps some of the most rational thinking that we can come across in terms of what we're going through right now in office. So thank you so much, Doug, for joining me on the AFIRE podcast. Great to be with you, Gunnar. Thanks for the time. You've been listening to the AFIRE podcast. Remember to subscribe on your favorite podcast subscription service, such as Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitchers, and others. 
AFIRE is not engaged in providing tax, accounting, or legal advice. No content in this podcast is to be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell any asset. Some information included has been obtained from third-party sources considered to be reliable, though AFIRE is not responsible for guaranteeing the accuracy of third-party information. The opinions expressed are those of its respective contributors and sources and do not necessarily reflect those of AFIRE.